This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. We'll continue our series, uh, Abound in Love, Holiness, and Hope. And we're on week four of eight. We're halfway through the letter already. And this morning, we're looking at verse uh, uh, three verses from chapter three, verses 11 to 13, as Jason just read. And uh, we're in a transitional point of the letter where Paul is shifting his focus of what the church have been doing faithfully to the Lord. And then uh, in chapter 4 and 5, he challenges them. He challenges them to grow in, in purity and service and informs them of the coming of the Lord and the hope that we have. But we're not there yet because this section right here, it's, it's, it's a prayer. It's a transitional prayer and not the prayer for the sake of transition or smoothness, right? There are three prayers in this letter, the, the first five verses in chapter 1, uh, this prayer in chapter 3, and the last six verses of the letter. And in my opinion, this prayer right here is the centerpiece of the letter. And this is my genuine desire for our church, the whole point of this series, the prayer to God that he may do a work in us where our love would increase and abound, a prayer to abound. Well, that's our title for today's sermon, A Prayer to Abound. And in these verses, I want us to answer two questions. What does abounding in love mean? And what abounding in love does? What does it mean? And what it does? And then at the end, I want to take some time to respond, right? responding in prayer. Right? If this is a prayer, we should probably pray this prayer. By remembering Christ's atonement through communion and then declaring his worthiness by worshiping and through song. And so I worked really hard this week to make this a short sermon uh, because this only happens by us asking God to do this. That's the only way it happens, that God has to do this in us. And that's what I want us to do this morning. And so the first question, what abound in love means, what it means. This is what it means. Abounding in love is to not let your love be confined. Abounding in love is to not let your love be confined. Let's look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Right, last week we saw Paul's desire to physically be present and active with the church because of his love for them. And it was a, it was a sacrifice for Paul to send Timothy to Thessalonica. And that's what verse 11 is about, his prayer, praying that God would make a way for him to return to this church. And that was fulfilled on his third missionary journey in 52-56 AD. You can read about it in Acts 20. And Paul hears and is comforted by Timothy's report as 3.8 says, hey Paul, they're standing fast in the Lord. But Paul doesn't relax and just move on, but he prays expectantly this in verse 12. This is what he prays. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. The call of a Christian love is a mighty call. It's a heavy call. And it requires effort. It requires to be inconvenience. But only God allows our efforts to be effective. And that's why Paul is praying this. May the Lord cause our love to increase and abound, right? Increase and abound. It means the same thing, but it's used twice to intensify the idea of abundance. Paul's not asking for our love to grow to the next tick mark. He's asking 
to go beyond confinement, beyond limits, exceedingly overflowing, past the red line at the RPM, all the way. Abounding love is not to let your love be confined. And Paul prays this because this is the business of God. I, I love saying that. But we're involved in this business, right? Be a part of this business because when our involvement is through prayer. Our involvement is through prayer. We can pray to God with a desire to increase in love, but also we can pray for a desire to desire to grow in love because regardless, it's God that changes us. And Paul differentiates two groups of people here, right? For one another and then for all, right? I'm not talking about like this section. You guys are for one another and this section are for all of us. Two groups. In order for love not to be confined, we ought to be loving our church family. We ought to be loving our church family, right? If we can't get this right in our hearts, if we can't get this right in here, in this church, then our love will make no sense out there. Our love will be just hypocritical if we can't get this right in here. And Paul had previously given extra attention to how Christians ought to be loving one another. Right? He says in Galatians 6:10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Is the love that we show to one another here confined? Is it appealing? Is it inviting? If others aren't able to see our love for one another here as a church family, as we model the love of Jesus, why would anyone even desire to look at Jesus? We have our immediate families. But then we have our extended family. They also still count as family. Okay? So we abound in love by loving our larger family. Right? This includes loving our brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't here at Redemption. Loving Bethel Church who meets upstairs right after service. Loving those who we might have known from a previous church. Right? Those relationships aren't dead because through Christ we are still family. One commentary says this about the Christian community. The Christian community is a school in which we learn to love. Like great musicians who practice tedious drills for long hours, Christians practice their scales at home in order to sing in public. In the community, love is commanded, commanded and modeled. And here is where it must be lived out and practiced. This does not mean that love is limited to the boundaries of the community. But if the community does not live by the model and the teaching of its founder, how can it expect others to do so or hear its call to join them? Let our love not be confined. Let us practice our love with one another in here so that our love is sung it's a beautiful song out there. And the second group is all, right? loving our neighbors. Right? When asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus answers in Mark 12, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Our neighbor is anyone that we can share God's love to. The call for the people of Thessalonica to extend love, including to those who were causing affliction to the church, but that was extremely challenging and difficult. 
But we're called to endure infliction due to our devotion to Jesus and then respond without affliction, lessening our love. It's a mighty call. And so Paul includes the audience of where our love ought to abound, right? He, he says, the church and everyone else. So everyone, right? Thanks, Paul. And when this happens, our witness goes forth as it was doing in the church. And now that we know our audience, it's everybody, let's talk a bit about what it looks like for our love to abound practically. And this list could go on forever, but it's really asking God, is give me what he wants to tell me for our church. And this is the first one, knowing one another. Yeah, knowing one another. But it's easier to love when there's less to love. Right? But it's more difficult to love when there is more to love. When there's more messiness, when there's more ugliness, when there's more hurt. Knowing one another is a crucial part of loving one another. And we have the opportunity to really get to know one another in our church. At the minimum, let's get to know the people that we sit next to. Right? Because let's face it, we sit as if we have assigned seats. Right? I almost sat on the ground over there because I was, <laughs> didn't know what to do. <laughs> Learn their name. Hear their story. Take time to build a relationship. I was going to ask everyone to sit in another section next Sunday, but I felt like it was too big of an ask and people would leave the church. So we're not going to do that. And so the challenge instead is this. Sit where you're at for now and learn more about the people you're worshiping God with. Knowing one another is so crucial for us to love one another increasingly. Tim Keller has an amazing quote about being known. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Know one another. Be available for one another, even right after service for a few minutes. Join a small group. And even within your own small group, open up, share, be known. Even today, after service, take the first step and say hello to someone new to you. Knowing one another. The second one, abound in love by handling conflicts with one another. By handling conflicts with one another. The more we get to know one another, the more we'll see how different we truly are. Which is a great recipe for conflicts. Right? If you have conflicts and arguments in this room, because of two things. One, you're alive, and the second is because you are human, okay? But Sarah and I get concerned if we don't have conflicts for a while, which causes a conflict. <laughs> but man, as Christ followers, we should be the best at handling conflicts. Because our love is not from the world, but of God. Right? We have God's love on our side to help us handle conflicts well. And that means we have to be willing to talk out our issues with one another in love. Right? If you have issue with someone else here or our leaders in our church, right, go talk to that person. And I feel nervous saying that because my flesh is saying, no, avoid it. 
But the Spirit is saying, abound in love. Listen in love. We've got to be willing to talk, but also we've got to be willing to listen, to receive feedback with humility. We've got to pursue conversations with the aim of building one another up, not tearing one another down. We've got to be quick to notice the log in our own eye and not suspect in our brother's and sister's eye. Yeah, we've got to be direct and truthful in conflict, but we've got to be loving in conflict. Our church is composed of different people, and this is a good thing. I want people who are not like me to be here. Our differences, though, will never outweigh the commonality and the unity that we already have in Jesus. Amen? And it's through his love that we can grow abundantly by handling conflicts well with one another, not simply avoiding it or dismissing it. But two questions. What abounding in love means? It means to not let your love be confined towards anyone and modeling Jesus' love for us. And the second question is, what abounding in love does? What it does. And this is it. Abounding in love allows your heart to be strengthened. Abounding in love allows your heart to be strengthened. Verse 13 says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And when we read so that in Scripture, it's a preface to a clause to show purpose or to give explanation. Right In the next section of our letter, chapter 4, the theme of holiness is expressed, and Paul has explicit instructions to walk in holiness. But before he gets in the dues, he's praying that their love would abound through Jesus so they would have courage. They would have courage to remain firm, a heart that is established in the love of Jesus. Right? This increase has to be a heart altering incident. A heart that isn't established in the love of Jesus will ultimately fail to be more like Jesus. So what does it what does it do? What results from a strengthened heart? What are the results? I got three results. Sarah asked me like why is it always three things and three points? I'm like, that's God's business. I don't know. You gotta ask him. There's a first one. A strengthened heart pursues obedience. A strengthened heart pursues obedience. When our hearts are in alignment with God's love for us, our desire shifts. When we try to be obedient without receiving and expressing God's love, we fall into legalism. But when we inaccurately define God's love without truth, we fall into disobedience. But when we ask the Lord to show up and fill us up with his love, something amazing happens. Right? 1 John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. A strengthened heart is not burdened to obey. A strengthened heart is not burdened to obey. Are you burdened to follow the commands of Jesus? A strengthened heart is not burdened to obey because, only, because this only comes from God's love abounding in us. It's a result. It's a response. 
This means when the Lord increases the love within us, our desire to obey him becomes a non-burdening way. And for some of us here, I know the burden that you are carrying trying to follow Jesus faithfully. I want us to follow him without it being a burden because that is what God's love does for you. That's what he does for us. It changes us. And don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying obedience leads to a strengthened heart, but a strengthened heart in love results in obedience. Don't try to earn God's love. Receive God's love. When we receive and experience his love, our hearts are strengthened, resulting in a pursuit of obedience. Right? It's one of the most amazing, non-comprehensible things that God literally changes your desire out of his love for you. Here's a second one, second strength or result. A strengthened heart stabilizes on hope right? so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God. Right? Four words that ought to bring us back to reality. Jesus is coming back. Everything will be okay because Jesus is coming back. However, we're here. We're here in this in-between. We're called to direct our love towards God and fight sin so that we are prepared for his second coming. But the good news is that our hope is found in Jesus. And when we are faced with the judgment of God and we will all be faced with God's judgment, for those who are in Christ, that we will pass because he has cleansed us based on Christ's righteousness. And that only comes through faith. But the focus of this prayer is not the end time, but the focus is the now time. We already have this hope in Jesus. And it's this hope that brings us a steadiness, a calmness, a stability in our lives. Right? Don't panic. Jesus is coming. But also don't forget. He's coming back. We ought to remain firm, have courage, believe until his return. And here's our last one. A result of a straightened heart, a strengthened heart is able to be poured out. Is able to be poured out. A strengthened heart means there is an abundance in your heart to give to others. The point of increasing in love is not for yourself, but for one another and for all. When our hearts are strengthened, we become less about us and more about him. Jesus is always willing to pour himself out for you. He's willing to empty himself for you. He's able to give all of his love for you without exception to receive that love back. Is our humility corresponding to the love that we have for one another? Is our service corresponding to the love that we have for one another? Are you willing to be poured out for one another? Do we even have anything to be poured out? Because when we taste and experience the love of Jesus, man, our hearts are strengthened and results in obedience and our hope and our humility. So we know what it means, we know what it does, but how does this happen? Yes, this is God's business and God does this, but what do I do now? What do I do now? Let me explain it like this. It wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't talk about Jesus and Caden, right? See, as a parent, my desire for myself shifted when my son came into the world. 
It showed me how selfish I really am. But there was a shift in my actions, in my behaviors. The same thing happened when I married Sarah. See, for me, something greater in worth had to come into my life for my desire to change. Something greater in worth had to come in my life for me to change. And so, yes, we listen to the same song over and over and over again in the car because Caden keeps asking for it over and over and over again. But we play that song every time because he's worth it. It's because he came into my life that my desire to love changed. And there are people in our lives that we have a special adoration towards too, right? Our parents, a spouse, a sibling, friends, kids, Pastor Robin. Wait, Tim, did you put this in my notes? But that adoration that we have for one another, right, that modifies our behavior towards them. But see, deep down within us, who we adore the most is ourselves. We, we value ourselves so greatly that we choose our own desire versus God's desire for us. That's sin. We adore ourselves so much that we delight in sin versus God. We've all sinned because to us, without Christ, sin is worth it for us, even though sin has no value except for eternal separation from God. Sin is not worthy. But for us, because we are sinful, our love for sin is deep. And so for sinners like us, something greater in worth, something greater than our love for sin had to come in our lives for us to change for that change to happen. And that greatest love came. And his name is Jesus. The one who is most worthy came. His name is Jesus. The one that is most humble and most obedient came. His name is Jesus. And he came out of that love for us. His love for us is not like that special adoration that we have towards people. That adoration modifies our behavior, but the love of Jesus, it gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and a new love. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that miraculous? His love is so powerful, it's so generous, it's so deep, so pure, that it literally changes everything about you because Jesus is worthy. That's what I want us to do next, is to pray and remember and respond for the love that Jesus has for you right now. Because we don't receive this life-altering life, uh, love from Jesus without faith. And believing in who Jesus is, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, and what he has done, right? He came for us and lived a perfect life, a holy life, so that he can die and satisfy the wrath of God due to our sin. He did it for us. He was the only one that was worthy enough to pay the price for the penalty of our sins, and he did it. 
And three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is God, and his love is greater, and death is no match for him. And he's in heaven right now, sitting next to his father. And he's left us with this message, with this good news, with the gospel of Jesus, that he loves us, and this, he's done this for us. And that's why we take communion, to remember what our faith is really about to remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us, the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us. And communion is for those who believe that Jesus has come into our lives. That greater love, that greater worth has already come. And if you're here today and that hasn't happened yet, but you are ready to declare your need of Jesus, if you're ready to turn away from a life centering on sin and yourself and ready to follow Jesus and experience and receive his love, then I invite you to take communion for the very first time with your church family. But before we take communion, I want us to take time to pray. Well, this text is a prayer from Paul, so let's do that. Pray that the Lord would increase and abound his love in us for one another and for all. Right? Because you know the verse that we're going to end the service with, right? Verse, the four weeks we've been ending the service with, he is faithful, he will surely do it. That's what I'm banking on t- today, this morning, that God does it. Right? Pray out loud, pray in silence. You can kneel, you can stand, you can sit, but really ask God to do this within us. And then when you're ready, Come up and take communion. Like these sections right here, there's communion for you. There's some communion in the middle for uh, the, the two middle sections. You can take the elements back. You can take it up here. There's, there's trash cans. You can take it as a family. Right? No need to wait for the row ahead of you. Right? This doesn't have to be clean. This is about you praying and remembering who Christ is. And so come up when you're ready after you pray to God. And so I'm going to pray for us and, and start. And the worship team's going to play for us a couple of songs. And within that first song, pray and remember and take communion as a family. So let's pray for him. Let's pray right now.
Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.